We have, um, I'm going to continue with our series of talks, uh, Living It, uh, this morning, um, talking about what it really means to be disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus, apprentices to Jesus Christ. What does that really mean? And where we kind of landed with that is, well, what that means is nothing but transformation. It's complete life change. You know, we as a people, we conclude this journey of discipleship completely different people to those we were when we started out. It's complete um, life change. That's what discipleship is. I started last week, I was starting to build a case for why community, that's you know, people gathered, coming together, doing life together, why community is just so crucial to discipleship to Jesus. Or to put that another way, community is vital um, for real-life transformation to actually take place within our lives. We've been spending a good few weeks going through this diagram. This is about spiritual uh, uh, formation, spiritual formation, intentional formation. And these are all the components that we need in our life for transformation to actually take place. So uh, we've gone through teaching, we've gone through practices um, and spend some time on that. Last week I kind of kicked off on this concept of community and how community is just so integral, just so intentional to Jesus's strategy for discipleship. Community. Remember we um, read a whole bunch of Bible passages. So by the way, this is kind of like an extension of last week. I never had time to finish it's an extension of last week. We had all the Bible stuff was like last week. So if you missed that, uh, we're not going to do so much Bible. So just in case I was accused of not being a Bible-based uh, leader or something. Uh, we had all the Bible last time, so we have a bit of Bible this time. But we went through a whole bunch of Bible passages last week. We saw how Jesus called to himself, not a disciple, but disciples, plural. He called on numbers of people to follow him. We read passages that spoke about Jesus and Peter and Andrew, or Jesus and James and John. So it was always Jesus and groups of other people. We read passages that spoke about Jesus and the 12, these 12 inner circle of friends, inner circle of uh, disciples that he had. It named them. But then Jesus didn't have just the 12. Now I'm take a look at Luke 10. It speaks about 72. After the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. There were 72 uh, disciples on that occasion. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, we read about there was a time where there was 120 disciples gathered when uh, Peter stood up and he addressed them and he was uh, speaking to them. There were occasions in the Bible there where there was like 4,000 or 5,000 people plus, 5,000 plus people gathered and sitting at Jesus' feet. So Jesus, he he didn't call a single disciple. He called disciples to come together as community. And you know what? It was messy. 
It was messy. Last week, what I tried to do is dismantle that idealistic view that somehow the church was kind of different back then. It was kind of perfect. It had, in, its new, in its beginnings, it was just sweet. Everybody got along. There was a little picture that we had. But with all the differences, all that diversity, there was just so much interpersonal clashes, I'm sure. Um, and so there was just, it was just as messy back then as what it is today, maybe. You know, there's just so many different types of people in the community, in church communities today. The reality is, it was messy back then. It was me- it mess- it's messy now. All that diversity. Jesus calls a radical range of people to be part of his team and say it's messy. But that's not an excuse, that's not a reason that we shouldn't do life with one another, alongside one another. In fact, I was saying that, you know, we, on the one side, we have this idealistic view of what the community was. On the other hand, there's this actual messy reality of how it really was. And disciple is something that takes place in that gap down the, down the middle. That's what discipleship is all about. That's where we're going, but that's where we are right now. <coughs> It was never Jesus' intent to launch a new way of living that was centered around you being a disciple all on your own, or me being a disciple all on my own, in isolation, with just listening to my podcasts. Thank you very much. Jesus and me, me and Jesus. Thank you. That's all I need. It's true to say that when talking about community, and this is my first point, Andy, um, Firstly, Jesus' plan for communities. Community is a non-option when it comes to apprenticeship to Jesus. Community is a non-option for discipleship to Jesus. You can't separate your discipleship to Jesus and your involvement or your participation in community, and more specifically the church community. Those two things are inseparable do you know that in the, in the New Testament, when uh, it talks about what it means to be the people of God, the Bible essentially uses two, two dominant metaphors to talk about that. Uh, firstly, it talks about apprentices, you know, it's a disciples to Jesus the rabbi. The other metaphor that he uses is that you and I are this word, this adelphos or adelphi, which literally means brothers or sisters. Siblings, we're family, we're the family of God and God is our father and we have become those who are adopted into God's family. You know, when, when a child is uh, adopted, my mum has got uh, an adopted sister, my auntie Jen. And you go back to the time when she was adopted into the family, um, when she was adopted, that very moment when she was her own baby, that moment that she became a daughter to my grandparents, she also became a sister to my mum and all the other brothers and sisters. She, you know, there was just no way she could be one and not the other. She couldn't be a daughter and not a sister. It was, it's impossible. And that's the same for us, you know. When our, uh, uh, we can't be in relationship with God the Father, uh, but not part of God's family. It's impossible. Um, so it's simply not a case, then, of me and Jesus, Jesus and me, in my podcast, thank you very much. It really doesn't work that way. It's about community, and it's about being family. 
Christianity is to be together in real community with real human imperfections and real human weaknesses and all the tensions and problems that that brings along with it. And it's to learn to love one another right there in the context of that. In fact, the Bible actually tells us this. It says, if someone says, I love God but hates a Christian brother and sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? That's in 1 John. Christian discipleship or uh, Christian spirituality is always as much as about how we relate to one another, or just as much as it is how we relate to God. That, that's, it's, you can't separate the two. So first then, community is a non-option um, for discipleship. The next point, community is a non-option for healthy life. I mean, and this applies to Anybody, whatever faith you are, if you're a Christian, follower of Jesus, or you're a Muslim, you're a Sikh, or a non-faithful, you're an atheist, it applies to every person. If you're a human being, you are born with this intrinsic need to, and a longing to participate in the lives of other people around us. We simply cannot not be relational, um, or we can't exist well without communion or connection with other human beings. And what's more, your relationship with God is intrinsically connected to your relationship with other people. You know that? It's kind of like they're all interwoven. It's all interconnected. Life is so much better in community. The phrase that I've used quite a lot is life is done better in circles than it is in rows. <laughs> okay. In other words, life is just so much better. Our spiritual journey, life... He's done better when we're in that inner circle, that sort of tight-knit circle of friends, rather than just, you know, if this was to sum up our community, where we're all sat in rows, it's so much better when we're in smaller huddles, smaller groups. Life is better in community. It's better when we kind of fly through life and fly through all the highs and lows with companions and not alone. And I think this is why in Romans 12 it tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those that mourn. I mean, just think about this for a while. If something happens in your life that causes, or it has great cause for celebration, isn't there this like natural impulse and natural desire within us that you want to kind of celebrate that with other people? No? Yeah, yeah, we do. Or at very least, you just want to share that joyful moment with them. You know, if, I, if you get a new job or a, a job promotion, or you, you propose and she says yes, yeah, the first thing you want to do is, I mean, you don't want to just kind of go home and say, okay, I'm going to go home and celebrate, make myself a brew, woohoo, celebrate on my own. No, we, the first thing you do is you get out your, your phone, you start texting friends. It's, it's like Paul and Cheryl, this, you know, these last couple of weeks. All the photos, and, and Nathan and Catherine, all the photos of you know, the arrival of the new babies. You know, it's just like something I want to share with people. That's how it works. Well, that's how it works with me, anyway, and, and a couple of other people. So. Uh, thirdly, community plays a key role in our spiritual formation. Community plays a key role in our spiritual formation. Firstly, I've spoken about this before as well. 
when it comes to intentional community or intentional relationships like this, it's pretty well a documented reality that we become like those that we spend lots of time with, that we're in community with. Those that we spend lots of time with, we kind of dress like them. We respond like them. We try to start to think the way that they think. We may listen to all the same sort of music that they listen to. So that's kind of one part to what community does to us. It does something to us. But more than that, there's this in intentional relationships that are centered around Jesus' way of living. It provides two key things that bolster transformation into, like, into Christ-likeness. And these two things are exposure and encouragement. They should come up. Exposure and encouragement. First of all, what I mean by exposure before everybody thinks that we're into weird stuff. Uh, get rid of everybody, we're going to expose ourselves now. Actually, that reminds me of a story. Um, John Wimber, he was uh, the founding leader of the worldwide movement of you know, churches. And he came, when he first came over to England, he was connecting with the Anglican leaders, like bishops and, and, and those sorts of people. And there was a guy called David Pitches, uh, Bishop David Pitches, super bloke. He worked then in Chorley Wood, which is now the Soul Survivor Church and so on. And so they became, started to become real good friends. And John had come over and he'd brought a team, done a lot of teaching amongst the, the Anglican church here. And uh, it came to a point where David Pitches thought, I, I think now God wants me to go over and teach in their church in California. And so he gets on the phone to John and says, John! The way he is, <laughs> John! He looks like uh, that bloke from uh, the, the fisherman guy from Bird's Eye. John! He says, I, I've been talking with the Lord, and the Lord wants me to expose myself to your people. <laughs> I think John must have had like, one of those look over the top of the glasses moments. You, what? <laughs> But he invited him over. And in actual fact, that's the way he introduced him onto the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning we've got David Pitches, and he wants to come and expose himself to us. No. <laughs> now, what I mean by... <laughs> uh, when I say intentional community provides exposure, is it exposes what you and I are actually like on the inside. What, what we, where we really are, what we're actually like. Remember last week I talked about the, all the different characters among the disciples, all the personalities among the twelve. I mentioned that story about the two disciples. It was uh, uh, James and John, and they're mumsy. And they come up to Jesus, and they're like, how oh, we can have a special place for my sons, you know, when you come into your kingdom. Have this special place. And so, you know, it's like selfish ambition and greed and dishonesty was all present there, right in amongst the disciples. And then, of course, the reaction of Peter and the, the others. Anger. You know, anger was right there. It was present uh, among with all the disciples. Um, but the point was that in all these attitudes, they wouldn't have come out if James and John had stayed at home with Mumsy. <laughs> Or the anger of issues and things surrounding Peter, they wouldn't have come home, come out, if he stayed on his boat fishing and never joined the community of believers. So community exposes what's inside of us. A little bit more about then what exactly is exposed. Um, there's a book. 
I should share with you. Peter Scazzaro, um, he's written a whole bunch of books. He's a founding pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in New York. He's written a volume of books under the title of Emotional, uh, the Emotional dot, dot, dot. Um, oh, hey, hey, this is a different book. Um, okay, maybe, maybe I'll never put it in there. Or Yes, I did. Yeah, I thought so. Um, he wrote like the emotional, healthy spirituality, the emotional, healthy leader, the emotional, emotional, healthy church, the emotional, healthy woman. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I want to read that book. But, uh, but in uh, emotional, healthy leader, he refers to these kind of hidden attitudes that are within us as our shadows, the shadow of yourself. Uh, and this is how he describes the shadow side of your service. He says, your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure uh, motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behavior. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. And that's the thing. You know, it's hidden. No, there are these emotions... Uh, uh, and motives that are mostly hidden, and they're not only hidden from other people, sometimes they're even hidden from ourselves. Sometimes we don't actually see the shadow things that are going on inside of us. We just some, Sometimes we just don't have that. They're hidden from us until we place ourselves into some kind of community, some tight-knit community. And when I talk about community, I'm talking about any deep and honest and open relationship. Like marriage. I mean, that's a great place for exposing the inner uh, shadows of you. Trust me, I've had lots of inner shadows revealed in marriage, in the context of marriage. It could be in amongst uh, very close friendships. It could be in close-knit circles within the community, within the vineyard community uh, church here. All these types of relationships have the ability to expose where we are and who we are really inside. So exposure, it affords us that the ability to lovingly highlight to one another where we're kind of out of whack <laughs> with, with the way of Jesus, okay, out of line then with the way of Jesus. I think for myself, there's been a couple of things which have really come out um, whilst I've been within this con uh, context that I don't think would have come out if I was just isolated. It, and that is one, I have kind of perfectionist tendencies. You know, I'm quite a resourceful person and very much a perfectionist. And that's, you know, not in a helpful sort of way, especially when you're trying to create sort of interdependence uh, with, amongst a community of people. Uh, what that often does, it creates, uh, sometimes it has the potential to create in other people a I'm not good enough uh, feeling or you, know, you, you just want to do everything yourself, which is not the case. Um, and so, as I say, those things would have been hidden to me had I not purposely put myself, intentionally put myself in amongst a community of people who have lovingly pointed that out to me. And, yeah, those are awkward <laughs> times, they're awkward moments, and it's uncomfortable. I don't always like that. But it's the way of Jesus. It's, it's his way. So community does exposure. But coming off of the back of that community, good, healthy community also does encouragement. You know, most of us, well, I'd say 
actually all of us, we've come through life and we pick up discouragements along the way, don't we? We pick up hurts, we pick up pain along the way. Many of us grow up with experiencing, uh, experiencing relational wounds and maybe they would kind of come out of our own relationships or maybe we've encountered sort of, uh, relational wounds through experiencing relationships, broken down relationships with our parents or, or whatever it was. Um, and so often what we see in cases like that is when we've experienced pain and when we've experienced uh, relational wounds is we pull back and we just say, man, that's it, I'm not going to get hurt in that relationship anymore, in relationships as a whole. I'm just not going to get damaged by that. Pull back, isolate ourselves, which is really sad. Um, some of you know Angela's story, my wife Angela's story, in growing up and during her teen years, she experienced some, uh, well, her parents going through a horrific relationship breakdown um, for, for many years. It affected just about every area of their life, just that safety network of what family should be. It, it affected all of that, it affected finances, it affected their social life. Um, Ange saw her dad hurt a mum bad for many, many years, most evenings, uh, physically, emotionally. Um, and so, as you'd expect, Anderson managed to develop a whole bunch of relational and emotional defences. Like, man, I'm not going to be physically hurt by a man like my mum was. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, relationships are just filled with pain. So don't actually make yourself vulnerable in a relationship. They are the kind of natural defenses that you would expect anyone to develop. Now, the sad truth is that Angela's story today is replicated over and over and over again in society today. And the answer that many people do is just stay out of relationships. Hold people at an arm's length. Distance yourself from people. But here's the thing. On a psychological and on a neurological level, studies show that the only way that we experience healing from relational wounds is, guess what? In relationships. <laughs> the only way we experience Healing. People say, who say, you know, I'm never going to get close to somebody again because I don't want to get hurt, they often stay broken. And, and you know, it, as I say, psychologically and neurologically, the only, the only way that we get healing is to step into, obviously this time, good healthy uh, relationships, Jesus kind of relationships. The only way that Ange could go through and experience healing uh, healing from that mindset that just said relationships equals being let down or um, marriage equals black eyes and broken ribs. The only way that she could actually get healing from that was to give herself again and again and again into healthy friendships and into healthy marriage relationship. I'm a health... I'm a <laughs> I don't want to claim anything great there. but You fix your wounded heart in relationship. So it's, it's in that community. It's in community that we, uh, where we find healing. It's in community where we rediscover and experience what good family life is, that safe place where, you know what, we can mess things up and stumble and fall and you know, rely on someone to help us back to our feet again in a loving and tender way. 
It's the only place where we can grow into Christ-likeness is within community. And there's this other book, Andy, this, there, this other one. Um, I, this is a great book. Uh, it's, it's full with resources and a study attached to this. I really want to do this or get folks doing this in a life group. So it, it's a great, great book. Slow Church, uh, Cultivating Community in, a patient, in the Patient Way of Jesus. Great title. It, Annie, in it, the, the authors write this. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress uh, in the Christian life. I love that phrase, a crucible, this melting pot. Uh, people who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It's a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Um, this week in Life Group as well, last, last Wednesday, we were looking at a little discipleship course that we're going through. We were talking about symbiotic relationships or symbiotic community. Again, it was just illustrating just how there are tremendous benefits for organisms and plants and human beings when we live and come together in close proximity, when we live together, we grow better together. So it's in that crucible, in that melting pot of intentional relationships. And it's not always comfortable, is it? Sometimes it gets pretty hot in there, in those uh, you know, tight-knit relationships. It gets really hot when we're being formed and forged by the fire into the likeness of Jesus. Next point. Community is not necessarily the same thing as a group of friends. <laughs> Community is not necessarily the same thing as just a group of friends. And I think there's a mistake in our thinking when we think, ah, I've got loads of friends. I'm just like a social monster. You know, I'm just out partying all the time. I've got loads and loads of friends. Uh, maybe. But maybe not as well, actually. Sociologists, they talk about different levels of relationships. I don't know if you've heard of this. They speak of strong ties and weak ties. Have you heard uh, uh, this? Strong ties and weak ties. Strong ties are typically the kind of tight bonds that you see between like a mother and a child, a brother and a sister. Maybe you kind of your best friend. It's my dog. <laughs> uh, your best. You know, it's a very tight, close um, relationships. Um, your weak ties, on the other hand, are the relationships that you have maybe with your boss or your bank manager, or a co-worker, they, in my mind, are just kind of like casual acquaintances. That's the difference between uh, weak ties and, and strong ties. In our world, we have a whole bunch of weak ties, generally. And generally speaking, we have very few strong ties. I bet most of us, if I was to say to you, turn on your phones and go down your contact list, or uh, open up Facebook and look at your friends list. I bet you've got like scores, if not hundreds of people on your list that you could text, you know, message, call. But the question is, how many would you call, contact in your time of need? You know, when you're in that crisis, how many of them actually would you call? I said last week that today, as a society, we're more connected than ever. Digitally speaking, we're more connected than ever before. 
But being connected doesn't actually equate to being in community. In my thinking, there is absolutely no such thing as online community. I just, I, 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 when you look at the meaning of community, just look it up in the dictionary. It just doesn't make sense to have online community. This is Sherry Turkle. Sherry Turkle, she's a professor of social studies and science and technology, very respected person. She defines community like this. Communities are constituted by physical proximity. So you know, people who live close together, same town, same uh, neighborhood, same city or whatever. Um, so constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns. You know, so for us, that's like, you know, we concern ourselves like trying to learn to live the way of Jesus. Shared concerns, real consequences. So that's you and I holding one another to account and calling one another out on things that we do or don't do. And common responsibilities. That's for us about working for the sake of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. See, this definition um, of the you know, community, that speaks of people doing life together. And I know that's kind of a bit of a, bit of a cliche um, now. But that's like people seeing you in, at your best, but also seeing you in the not-so-good moments in your life. So that means you know, when you're not so polished. Not with your makeup on, fellas. <laughs> How would you let anybody see you without your makeup on? Hey, Paul? No. <laughs> so, allowing people to see you when you're not at your best, not at your polished best, and they see the real you, that is different to just people being on your contact list. That's different. That, that, what we're talking about, community. It's certainly different to those that you maybe you just, just wouldn't call. Community, less, uh, no, it's less but one uh, point. Community is born out of commitment. I was saying last week how Britain were dubbed in various studies as the loneliness capital of Europe. Um, we are more lonely as a society today than we've ever been. We are lonely... And we ache. There's something within us in Britain here that we ache for community. And yet we also want to be very picky about who we're in community with. We want to, we want to keep our options open, as, as it were. You see, today we live very much in a consumer-driven society. You know, we love to have those options. I want this product, and I want it how I want it. I want it the shape that I want it, the size that I want it, the color that I want it. You know, that's my choice. And I think often that we approach relationships in a similar sort of consumer uh, way, consumer mentality. It's kind of a, you know, what's in this relationship for me? Or, you know, is this, this kind of person, are they going to make me feel good? Are they going to make me look good? You see, it's not uncommon even for folks to do the same when it comes to churches and church community. They say, okay, you know, I've tried this vineyard community church, and they're kind of okay, a bit cranky. But <laughs> on the whole, they're okay. But hold well on. I haven't tried out the other churches yet. You know, I might, you know, there might be better options out there for me. And they can just drift in and drift out. And, and so I've, they are, in those situations, they feel reluctant to give themselves to, you know, relationally in, in a community like this. 
They don't want to put all their eggs in the vineyard basket right now, so to speak. We want to keep our options open, um, keep everybody at arm's length. Or you have people who connect with churches through, just purely through social media. You know, they're just kind of, you know, connecting through Facebook, look at some of the things that they post, maybe listen to some of the teaching podcasts. By the way, I've started putting them up on the website. Yay! If you go to vineyardcommunity.org.uk and start digging around in the menus there, you'll find some of the uh, recordings of this uh, series. But that's sometimes what people do, and that's all that people do. They connect with the church through social media, listen to some of the teaching. That's you know really great, kind of. Maybe they pay a visit to the church once every six months or so, or twelve months. But that's not community. That's not living with people. That's not being community with people. You know, I would even go as far as to say that even showing up regularly here on a Sunday doesn't necessarily foster community. Coming back to what I said earlier, life is done better in circles than it is in rows. Or another way to put that in this context, community is better cultivated in circles than it is here in rows when we come together. I've heard and had many, many times people come up to me and say, Rob, you know, I just, I don't feel like I fit in with this community. I'm going to move on. I don't feel like I, I fit. I don't you know, I don't connect with this community. And invariably, when I've asked the question, um, they haven't been part of a life group for a year or two years or maybe never, you know, one of our weekly life groups. Or they're not connecting with anybody else in a Thai group, a three is enough group. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Or they've never kind of come along and served in any way alongside anybody else within the church. Or served with anybody as we've gone and done some community serving projects and taken that out. And so really I'm not all that surprised that they feel somewhat on the edge of things. You cannot have community without commitment. You cannot have community without commitment. And if we want true community, you know, I'm talking about that safe, open and honest and long-term, in-depth relationships, then we have to commit to a group of people in, in, in a space around a certain thing. And that group of people, you know what? They're going to be imperfect. They're going to be messed up. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be less than perfect. Um, there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues, but we still have to say we have to come to a place where we say, you know what, I'm in this with you. I'm just gonna, I'm sticking with you, with uh, in this. And, and when all the interpersonal conflicts arise, and of course they do, we have to stick. We don't just like push off somewhere else and yield to that illusion that things are somehow going to be better over here in this community than they are in this community. As I said, it's an illusion, I think. We need to work things out and we need to think, how do we restore peace in those situations? That sounds like we're learning to practice, you know, like love and grace and forgiveness. (laughs) Community then is born out of commitment. And then finally, community takes time and intentionality. Community takes time and intentionality. Do you know, it takes time to get to know people. You know, you go from a place of complete strangers to a place where you know them well, you're in community, you're in relationship with them. That takes time. It just doesn't happen overnight. 
takes time, and we have to be very intentional about how we do that, especially in the uh, kind of swirl of uh, you know, fast-flying society, the digital society, microwave everything. We can't expect deep and long-lasting, honest and open, interdependent relationships to happen. In a moment, if we think that way, well, it's nothing short of a, a fantasy if we think it's going to happen that way. If it just happens, happens. It just happened. You know, we have to work at it, and we have to give it time. So, how then are we outworking that here in Vineyard Community Church? Well, this is the first thing that I want us to, to get into our mind. Is I don't think we've got any visitors for the, you know first-time visitors here, but maybe when we have first-time visitors here, may and you're chatting with them, if we can kind of get this into our idea, our culture, as we're chatting to visitors. We say, make a commitment to being here at least five times, five Sundays. There is no possible way that they could gauge whether this is the church for them on one Sunday meeting or two Sunday meetings. It's going to take time. So we just encourage people, why don't you just come along and commit to being here for five Sundays, uh, five Sundays, and then you know, we'll have a chat, see how you feel or whatever. So that's firstly. Secondly, and this applies not just to visitors but to everybody, make a commitment to being part of the life groups, those small group gatherings that we do throughout the, in the homes and throughout the town. Um, we run them termly, and so there's three terms across the year. We try so hard to make them as diverse as possible. Now, bear in mind, we're only a small church. We can only run a few groups per term, but we try to make them diverse. We try to give people the option because we know we like people like options. <laughs> you know? So we try and say, you know, center things around maybe a study or something, a, a Bible passage or uh, a book that we're reading together or something. Sometimes we center it around a common interest. People like to gather around things that they, they share an interest in. Uh, and or, or a serving project, so there's activists among us, and we like to do stuff. We like to get out there and make a difference. And so maybe we, we have groups that are centered around um, a serving projects or something. What I've heard, and I hear it over and over again from those that attend those life groups, is this has just been a great place to get to know other people here. I heard it just this week. I think it was this week. And I don't hear much <laughs> in our life groups, but what I did hear is this has been a great place to get to know other people. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to achieve in that. It's a place where we begin to discover true friendships, lasting friendships. And then off of the back of that, we have these Thai groups, which we haven't really spoken much about. Um, I think we're going to try and get out there and formalize a little bit more. So off the back of, this is our goal, off the back of life group friendships, our intention is that folks would find that they could commit to tie groups. These three is enough uh, groups. Now this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we really do life together, exposure, that exposure thing. Woohoo, all that, you know. No, no, not like that, but... Um, so this is a commitment between three or more, three or so individuals 
who stand together. We, you know, they're saying, I'm going to stand together. We're going to provide mutual support and prayer and cover each other and we'll be there for each other as best we can. It's these deeper relationships that are a byproduct of being in a life group. You know, I don't, I've said it before, I don't think people would find themselves in a three-enough group unless they've attended life groups where they start to engage with people. Can you see the stepping process that that, 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 that kind of has what we intended? So, it, you know, if there is an agreement between these people. We're going to connect together. We're going to pray for each other regularly. Maybe come together once a week for a half an hour to an hour. Maybe have, you know, breakfast together once a week or... Uh, go out and have a coffee together once a week. But just, we're going to hook up and we're going to check up on how are you doing in life? How, how is things going? What are you celebrating? Can we celebrate together? Or what are you struggling with? What is it that you're being tempted by? What are you reading right now? What websites are you looking at right now? That's the sort of level of relationships that we're talking about with Thai groups, three is enough groups, that accountability element is coming in. You know, I really do believe, I genuinely believe that these stages that we're describing can cultivate real community here at Vineyard Community Church. This is the kind of community that will foster transformation, the kind of community where the transformation is the goal, it's the outcome uh, of the relationships, where true apprenticeship to Jesus is a possibility. Shall we stand?